You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I think right now the hardware and the medium on which uh, you know audio and video is printed on is just constantly getting cheaper. So you need fewer and fewer people, and those smaller crews. I don't. It's always a smaller crew of really devoted people. Even and I, I'm sure you guys can attest to this. Even if it's a bad movie, if it's made with like just a huge amount of gusto like troll two or something like that <laughs> like it it still turns out really well it's those it's the cynical movies where people are like we just made it to make money or we you know the people that really want to make something even if it's weird it can it can somehow coalesce and you know be a you know tommy wiseau type production or something like that that, that certain a certain amount of sincerity i think goes a long way but i think yeah, the, a lot of those problems we were just discussing about like the crews and people getting fired and 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 all the miscommunication and stuff. It just results from you know having way too many people involved in the process. Because at the end of the day, I, it, a movie is really like, I mean, depending on how inconsiderate you want to be to the people around you, it's like seven seven people that really make a movie um, or, or like leave like an indelible mark on it, you know. If you're unless you're, you know, one of those French new waivers, then it was all you. <laughs> Nobody else was involved, you know. No, it's it's very true. And, and you know, it's you mentioned uh, David Lynch earlier and he kind of made that comment where it, he said uh, something to the effect of I'd rather have an audience that's confused than bored. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's like, well, that's that's a very good point. I mean, I guess even if you're confused, if it's entertaining, then that's still you're going to watch it, you know. That's how I felt watching the Neon Demon. I was like, "This is very lengthy. A lot of these shots are real long. They look really <laughs> great." I was like, "But the thing is, is you have a running dialogue in your in your mind, and right. you just keep watching." <laughs> Whereas there's other ones where I was like, "I uh, like Tomorrowland, which was a startling to me um, because I love Brad Bird so much, but that movie just didn't connect with me." And I, about 45 minutes in, I was like, "I." don't know what's happening i don't know who i should care about i'm not i haven't heard i'm a stickler for structure too uh, you know i like i like uh, uh good plot points and and nice you know old-fashioned uh you know the monomyth story structure so that one just kind of it was too weird for something <laughs> with disney on it i was like this is too weird i don't know <laughs> getting confusing signals right now um but that uh, is understandable though because i i did not connect well with i don't actually I'd, I'd be kind of inclined to say i don't think most people connected too well with with the film unfortunately yeah i did i say i did you yeah th th yeah there, there's always a couple of uh, like um a couple of uh of my friends that they were like oh i really enjoyed it and i was like i saw a totally different movie but those are the movies i still i still appreciate movies that are that can be watched by two different people and they see t one, it connects with one and it, and the other one's like vehemently opposed. And they're like, yeah, there you go. Now we have a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> 
what was it about Tomorrowland that got you, Mitch? I'm curious because I don't think we've ever actually talked about this. I mean, so. yeah, we never really talked about Tomorrowland in particular, but I just thought, you know, I mean, once again, as the the person who didn't go to film school, I really felt like the 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 story, though not traditional flow, it did flow for me. Like I, I respected the the character archetypes that were presented to me, and then uh, was able to. I mean, maybe you could say you didn't connect with the the young heroine, but I I did. I like the you know being from a uh, family of a single parent. I mean, I don't know if you guys or what you have uh, going on yourself, but it's just you know things that I also uh, connected with. So, and that's the that's the interesting thing to me is it's always like you always get to know the person the person who likes something. It's like. Yeah, you can. I come from a giant family. Maybe that's why I, I have four sisters, three older, one younger. So it's like, so maybe I was like, I have no idea. I, I don't know anything <laughs> about this character or what they what motivates them. So like now I want to give it a, another watch. See, now you've convinced me to to give it another view. <laughs> no, yeah, I think obviously if you if you when you're talking to people about movies and you you see which connect characters they tend to connect with, it says that says more about them than it does the movie. And I I totally see oh, yeah. where people come off with, uh, you know, that movie not connecting to them or not, you know, really telling a story because it is very convoluted. Uh, it Even towards the end of the movie, you still have George Clooney and uh, Britt Robertson, mm. and the two of them are still arguing over what the movie is supposed to be about. And you're just like, well, if you don't know, then why am I supposed to know? But uh, I still thought it was a, a fun oh. adventure movie. Yeah, see? I, I didn't make it to the end. I feel like a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Am I, I see I, I I like it didn't connect with me so I turned it off but those there's people that are like it was terrible I turned it off We're like well, that's a different sentence that's totally I mean literally but but it's like a different sentiment <laughs> it's also a different sentiment altogether all uh, you know I I think you gotta before you before you kind of develop an opinion on it. oh yeah 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 no, no I, I agree because i mean you get it's funny like i think that's one of the fascinating things about the internet too is uh you know people are and i mean obviously i think we're all a little guilty of it too but you know you get these situations where a movie you know the trailer comes out or something to that effect and then it's like all these people are on this bandwagon of hate for it already and it's like well, <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a minute like you, you haven't even seen the movie yet like maybe maybe just calm down and watch the movie first but but yeah it's interesting there is like three ways to make a trailer. I mean, like, like, let's be honest. Right now, it's like the thing that I'm tired of is this stripped down piano version of a theme I've heard eight billion times in my <laughs> youth. Like that's right now. It's like, oh, Ghostbusters one did. A, oh, if I could get into two seconds about talking about Ghostbusters, I haven't talked to anybody about it. I didn't see the movie, and here, and I'll explain why. Two title cards into that first trailer. It says, <laughs> it says, uh, however many years ago, whatever, whatever it was, 30 uh, years ago. 30 years ago, whatever, yeah. Is that, yeah, I think that's what they put up. And then they say, three scientists saved New York. I'm like, hold up. Or they said four. <laughs> they go, four scientists saved New York. I'm like, wrong. Winston <laughs> Zeddemore was just there for the paycheck. That's right. So that's insane. <laughs> Three scientists. So either your marketing team is like, oh, people are too stupid to know <laughs> that Winston Zeddemore wasn't a scientist. I was like, or they don't care. I was like, either the marketing team doesn't care or they think people are too stupid. And I was like, either of those things, 
no, I, I will not be going to see it. But that was, <laughs> I, I was so livid when I saw that title card because I was like, insulting, insulting. It's so true, though. You know, it's like I, I just remember that movie so well. It's like in my top five movies of all times. And, uh, you know, he's just sitting there and he's like, if there's a paycheck involved, I'll believe in anything you tell me to. And it's like, yeah, it's so true. And when, when you're coming out, and it's like, OK, so you have people making a Ghostbusters movie that now you're insinuating potentially haven't even seen Ghostbusters. That's a little frightening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we're getting into like very weird, deep stuff. What's, what's going on with the industry? <laughs> But uh, there's a, a whole uh, there's a whole thing with with China and and now that they're letting in movies and stuff. But one of the things that I heard I read somewhere, and this this is when I was like, oh, that's very true. And I was like, now I I don't know what to think because marketers might be you know Bill Hicks had his feelings. I share some of those um, on like marketing and advertisers and stuff like that, or just. Uh, they're just trying to make a buck. There's nothing wrong with that on a surface level, <laughs> but then their goal is to make money. Got it. In China, now that China's just letting in these movies, all these remakes are originals over there. So because they didn't see the originals. So now you have now they're remaking everything because they don't give a crap about the US anymore. <laughs> it's like yeah. It's like, thanks. Bro. They they we're all watching Netflix anyways. Like we're we're like, well, I'm not even going to the theater, so I don't care. Somewhere so I was like, that's a very interesting point, is is that there may be no end in sight for remakes in the in the sense that until they catch up to where we are currently with all proven franchises, you know, um, They'll uh, they'll just they're just going to keep pumping them out so that they can sell them in China as originals. Um, and why we're on the subject of China and remakes, <laughs> I got a lot to say on this. Um, one of the most insulting movies I ever saw was was the Karate Kid remake. I was like, <laughs> Karate's Japanese, and this kid is going to China to learn kung fu. I was like, if there's no more solid proof <laughs> that. People are just going, uh, you know, just going on brand recognition. Oh, like, really? you could have called it the Kung Fu Kid. And people would <laughs> be like, no, this is great. It, it would have been just because I didn't hate the movie. I was like, this is kind of actually this has got some good some good like modern twists to to the story. I was like, it's pretty good. But but uh, I was like, Karate Kid learning Chinese Kung Fu. I was like, wow, <laughs> you're you're doing, doing wonders for the perception of Americans across the world. Thank you, thank you so much. They talked. A, they talked a little bit about that with uh, uh, Tilda Swinton for uh, Doctor Strange as well, because of the character that she played. There was a lot of people that were upset that they didn't cast uh, an Asian actress, and they're like, "Well, it really didn't matter what we did because if we casted, you know, an Asian actor that wasn't." of the correct Asian descent, then people were still going to, you know, lose their mind about it. And so they're like, there's really no way to actually do it in a way that's 100% going to please everyone. And so it's kind of interesting to, to be in the same situation, but you're right. Like with that, they totally could have just called it the Kung Fu kid. Like there, there was nothing else going on other than just trying to replay off of, like you said, the brand recognition in order to make a quick buck. Right. And, and it's a bummer because like some of these some of these remakes and things like some of them have some redeeming qualities. Some of them are good, uh, you know, and but uh, not many. Not many. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but, you know, but then you, you then you have like John Carpenter's The Thing, which is a, is a remake. But, you know, and I think this has been talked about elsewhere on the Internet recently was that uh, 
that when you're remaking something, remake something that didn't do well, like find out where they went wrong and then remake it so that, you know, at least you're, you're draw- yes, you're drawing on something, but you're improving, improving what was already there. Like why do another draft of the same thing or dumb it down so that it connects with, with more people? I, I just, uh, I don't know, but it all kind of goes back to, unless you're making the movie to make the movie because you like making movies, <laughs> your motivations become totally different, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, that's a different conversation. But, but when people, you know, when someone's like, I, I have to make this. And then you're like, okay, this guy's insane. Get him a budget because he's going to go crazy if he doesn't make it, make his movie. Um, and I think everybody has at least one good one in them because every, I mean that truly uh, because you're, First, the first one where you feel like you really got everything you were is going to be the best one, and that you and seen by people is always kind of that's the original statement. It's the new voice that's out there, and you know we're bored with hearing all the similar. You know, right now we have like a whole generation of directors who are copying people who copied people because like Spielberg and Lucas were like. I'm copying the serials of the thirties and everyone was like, all right, cool. You know? <laughs> and now people are like, I'm copying those guys who copied the serials of the thirties. And they're like, I've seen this before twice. So <laughs> it's interesting anymore. You know, <laughs> it's tough. So, uh, I heard a Simpsons writer, I forget who it was, but they said uh, when they when you steal from some, a movie that's in color or a TV that's in color, that's stealing. But when you steal from something in black and white, that's homage, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a really great point. I think it's pretty accurate. I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely now, is. Now we have like we had we had black and white film, then we had color film. Now we have then we had like the VHS revolution, and now we're having this digital revolution. So now I think I think you can steal from things that were shot on film in color. <laughs> pre VHS era. I think that now you can steal. Now so, you can steal from there. So then what you're yeah, telling me is that you're going to be remaking Attack of the Killer Tomatoes next. I honestly I would love to see that. It's like good practical effects though. They pull out the CG crap. I, I would I would watch it. That's for sure. I would actually I mean those are the yeah, the, I mean those those schlocky kind of horror movies and stuff. Those are the things you remake. Like let's get good actors together this time and and, <laughs> and you know and and do something like uh, you know really interesting. But so. but the way the trend is now is like you'd have to do that, but in VR because like that's the thing that everyone's rushing to try and do now for no reason. Like people don't understand you have to have a justifiable reason to film it in VR for a story reason, or otherwise you're just doing it and it really doesn't add anything. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Uh, what do you before we get into VR? Because that's where we're. <laughs> sure. uh, what, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on VR? Is it a fad or is it? Uh... You know, I, it's interesting. I is it here to stay? I, I think it is. I think it is going to be here for for a while. I, I think there's something you know. Eventually, as we look throughout all of history with everything, there's something that eventually will come on, along and replace it. So I think it. I think it is going to find its place for a while. I just don't know if it's going to find its place in the film world as much as everyone's hoping that it will, mm-hmm. or trying to shoehorn it into. Um, you know, I think there's potentially certain 
before, but I, I genuinely believe a lot of people are just trying to shoehorn experiences out there. So, yeah, I, I think it's the same as uh, you know the 3D movie uh, right now in theaters. It's it, both of them are you know, do have their places, but it's just not there yet, and there's no reason for anybody to uh, be jumping up and using it like like you said, Richard. Right. I, yeah, I, I think the thing that uh, it faces two big problems. One, people wouldn't wear Google Glass. What makes you think they want to strap a whole thing to their face? <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Until it's hands-free, I feel like it won't be. It won't really catch on. Um, the film application is very strange to me um, in the sense that it's – I don't – like you said, they're kind of shoe trying to shoehorn it maybe where it doesn't quite belong. Like it, it, VR to me is 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 great for like playing Oblivion or Elder Scrolls, you know, Elder Scrolls, just you know, some sort of RPG type of thing where you you are creating the character as you go. That has phenomenal implications because then you can have basically one little director on essentially every different story arc or storyline that branches off that that character might interact with where they can focus on just those people that it affects. The thing about film is like, to me, film is closer to painting. Like, uh, and that's, that's a very old fashioned notion, but I just, I'm kind of a John Ford type of person. Like I, I, he's, one of the masters and, and he gets forgotten about, I think sometimes. So people are always saying Kubrick Kurosawa and, and uh, you know, that type, those types of guys are the first names, Hitchcock first, first names on the list. But John Ford is kind of like, kind of been forgotten. I feel like he's, he's pretty good. I'm on a tangent now. Um, <laughs> anyway. So if John Ford did a VR film, no, <laughs> I don't know. How, how that'd, be a, that'd be a hell of a Western. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, actually, Red Dead Redemption, as done by John Ford. <laughs> there we go. Be much, it would be much more uh, – there would be a lot more dinner table scenes. <laughs> I'd, uh, still, I'd still play it. I'd play I that. would too. I bet they'd be in, <laughs> very engrossing and the compositions would be done in such a way that you'd be like, I know exactly what's going on without even having to listen. Um, Absolutely. Which I think that uh, that's – that uh, if we can mention my my uh, web series, here. absolutely. That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> I, I, are we on the air right now? Are we recording this, or are we just having a conversation? Yeah, no, we are. We I've just let it. I just let it roll. So yeah, we can cut out whatever we want and uh, use whatever we like. I think that's the best way to yeah, best way to go about it. Um, yeah. But to yeah, to mention the web series, I was making that. I had started on the idea. <clears throat> and started developing the idea of like, can I do that? Could I do something entirely by myself? I mean, how long would it take? How long could I make it? How good could I make it? You know, all those with, with what I have. When I was, uh, uh, when I was doing that, I was uh, also torrenting films like Korean cams online because I couldn't afford to go to the movies or anything, but I still wanted to see what was happening. And I remember I watched um, – it was right around when Mad Max Fury Road came out, which I mean if you don't – at this point, if you're if you're hung up on something about it or don't like it, you're just plain wrong. That's, that's, that's me <laughs> right here. That's me. I, I don't like uh, that movie. Mitch doesn't like it? Mitch doesn't like it? I don't. Oh, no. All right. Well, fair enough. I, I'm but willing to listen to what wrong, you have to say. So we're good. <laughs> of, course, of course I make that, I make that statement with, with – 
tongue firmly in cheek. But, um, <laughs> because I, I have a couple of friends who also weren't into it or or like uh, not initially they they were like ah you know it's overhyped and, <laughs> and there's things in the news i don't like you know and i was like well you can pass out and watch the movie um the movie aside talking about george miller's style um he i i was working on my thing and i've always been a more visual type storyteller always thinking about the shot dialogue is the i was like i realized that when i'm writing and i go i don't know how to communicate this visually i go dialogue i go and then i put down (laughs) some dialogue um not literally like that all the way that would be bad but uh but pretty pretty close if i can't do it if i can't do it visually dialogue goes in there um and i was like but this is such an old-fashioned boring you know most people like there's no talking this is boring and but the thing is, is, I think audiences have gone so long without somebody of that type of style, like George Mitchell, George Miller is a very visual guy. He's been doing, he's been making films, but not adult films. He's been making kid films, you know, for so long that are all animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when that came out, it was like it was such a kick in the uh, the pants for me, like in a good way. Because I was like, awesome. I was like, there are people out there that still like this <laughs> style, you know, like this this visual style of storytelling, which I am incredibly partial to. I I don't even I you know, I, why why am I listening to people talk? I'll just read a or listen to a book on tape or what I listen to the radio. You know, like I, I my my feeling is like I'm here to look at pictures for for an hour and a half for two hours, um, and listen to sound sweet sound mixes. That's it. Like on a gut level, that's that's how it hit me. So that came out when I was working on the web series, and that was kind of a, a big. Um, it was kind of like a eureka moment where I was like, has like, hey, like, I mean, I was going to make it anyways, the way I wanted to make it. But it, it, it just made me feel like more at ease. Like, I was like, I think there's other film people out there that like vi- the visual side of storytelling or or understand that there's a st- there's a different style out there besides just the dialogue driven. Because, you know, we all like, you know, I, I enjoy the Joss Whedon and the Aaron Sorkins of the world that were, you know, every character sounds the same, but it's still really entertaining to listen to. Yeah. I think, no. uh, I oh, think a, a lot of modern filmmaking and, and modern movies, they, it relies a lot on telling the audience exactly what it is they need to know, as opposed to letting them interpret the movie uh, or what's being shown to them. Uh, and, and you're right, you know, I, I'm one of those people that, that is a Whedon Sorkin, you know, uh, worshiper and I, I love their dialogue, but I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious in your short film, uh, or your web series that, you know, uh, how you, you wanted to portray the story. And I, I mean, I, though I come from that, that, uh, field of loving dialogue, I still enjoyed your, your web series quite a bit. Thank you. The web series kind of ends right when it's getting going, which is what I was kind of, uh, kind of doing or trying to accomplish. And like, if I can get it, if I can get it, the story going, and then all of a sudden, and the characters and stuff, and you feel like, <laughs> the fourth, uh, the episode uh, part four is kind of like I was like, this is the sellout moment. This is where I go <laughs> full on Hollywood, and now comedy is coming in and and dialogue and stuff, but. 
I wanted to get some dialogue in there at the end because I was like, it's not like I don't like dialogue, you know, I'm like, but there's just so much fun in the visual stuff. Like you said, where you get to project so much more meaning onto, onto the images when, when there's no, nobody's telling you how to interpret them. I, I actually, I, I may still do this, but I want to do a comic book, uh, out of the first, uh, episode all four parts and do a, a comic book where there's a r- internal monologue the character's thinking the thing is is like then it becomes far less open to interpretation than if they were just empty panels on page after page after page um so part of me is like kind of toying with that idea i want to see what it looks like um in in print wise if it, if it had no bubbles versus if it did or maybe i'll just leave empty bubbles and everyone can make their own story <laughs> <laughs> choose your um, own uh, dream of me adventure right so and speaking of the uh, of the web series and and the visuals and all that sort of stuff uh, what was it that kind of fired you up to to create this i mean were you just sitting there one day and and a bolt of lightning went off and and a lifetime of failure (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean in a sense yeah in a sense um in a sense uh the thing that motivated me most was a that sinking uh i just turned 30 uh, actually, it was a it was a number of things. One of the, not the least of which was um, a friend of mine died of cancer, and uh, and he was thirty one, but he lived life very very fast. Like he's one of he was one of those guys where everybody was like, well, he got it all in, you know. He had a kid, he did all these. I was like, you know, he was just one of those guys. However, the thing that really affected me was. The fact that he his symptoms before he was diagnosed was severe back pain. He uh, had like stage four cancer when they found it in his spine. So his symptoms were back pain. And at that point in my life, I was sleeping on floors, but my back really hurt a lot most of the time. <laughs> so, that will happen. So, uh, so I had, I, I'm already going through this kind of, oh, you know, should I give up on the the film world and and kind of go more this corporate route and get a job with an established company uh, where I was in Boston at the time and then uh, and then that happened and then I was like I was like all right if let's say I do go join the corporate world and and start on that that kind of a path and and do it more typical I guess typical I mean teach their own but that's the kind of a typical path for for some people to go to have like a stable life um, or a stable like family and life and you know the house and the picket fence and all that stuff and I was like but if I'm going to do that I might as well do one last project that's for me that's just the way I want to do it nobody can nobody's gonna uh, change anything like I want to have complete total creative control and then I was like why don't I make it like the way I did when I was a kid when a camera on a tripod, if you're even lucky enough to have one, um, you know, like sometimes you're just putting the camera on a chair or something like that. And then just you're standing. It's basically a where you're just standing there and 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 performing for the camera. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll just cut on action for every single shot and uh, just pay attention to where the composition is. Maybe I can get it to work. And then I shot some tests and then do trailers 
And then the trailers were like, people were like, are you really doing this? Because this looks interesting. And then I was like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started like taking some of the test footage and like even looking at like, oh, how can I reshape the story to make this footage work? So it was a very weird, um, very weird kind of process where I was coming at it from all angles because I was editing in the evenings. And But yeah, that, that ultimate kick in the pants to get going was... A, just a culmination of things um not the least of which was just wanting to do it just wanting to do it i just thought it would be fun and then i started doing it and i was like this is stupid this is why would anybody if you had told me it was going to be as much work as i put as it was, ended up being i never would i wouldn't have even started i'll be honest yeah i'll be honest <laughs> i wouldn't i would be like don't <laughs> that's my advice to everybody don't do the thing i did <laughs> Unless it gets me somewhere, then do exactly what I did. <laughs> so then, you right yeah. now goes back into the past, tells you, tells the younger you, don't do it. But then the you further from here that says, because you've made it, be like, no, stop that guy. You should do this. The scary thing is, is I have a treatment for exactly that story. <laughs> I'm not even joking to you. I have, I have a treatment that is literally, that's the setup. It's a guy... It's a guy uh, meeting his future self that may that gives him exactly that type of advice. <laughs> <laughs> I love you it. Totally film that <laughs> time travel. I actually, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's such a good idea. I'm just going to share it right now. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> it's called doppelganger, right? <laughs> All right. But it's done in the style of like a perfect strangers, like eighties buddy comedy with like the complete with laugh track, but like played for terrible laughs. Um, <laughs> And it's about a guy who <laughs> goes the the normal route of like, oh, he goes to work for a bank, becomes a banker when he wanted to be an actor. And then and then he gets this apartment. But there's a tear in the time space continuum that allows his future self to come back through that portal. And he eventually gets stuck. So there's this whole overarching story of trying to get him back to where he belongs. But the guy's such a lazy asshole. <laughs> the actor. <laughs> The actor is such a lazy a-hole that uh, that he doesn't want to leave, so he keeps kind of sabotaging it. But then they get into mixed-up kind of perfect strangersy, odd couple, odd couple type sitcom humor, uh, <laughs> com- complete with trying to hide from the landlord uh, that two people are living in a, a place that they're not allowed to live in. Uh, I mean. I, that's that should go straight to series if you ask me. That, that's that's a <laughs> well, Netflix series right there. That, uh, I'm available. I'll come out at work for free. So uh, let me know, and I'll be your well, laugh track. I have to I have to get some clout myself out here before uh, you know sleep it. You know, sleeping on on the couch of somebody ten years younger than me and more <laughs> successful than me, that'll humble you up. Where you're like, um, hey, I should probably get out there and get this thing started. <laughs> What? So as soon as I'm off his couch, you can I'll get a couch and then you can sleep on my couch. There we go. The couch <laughs> crashes. Um and then we'll make a weird biopic about the whole situation when we're all super famous and right. uh, people are talking about us and no longer Kubrick and uh, Spielberg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which that's a pretty big bold words. Uh, when you so you finally got motivated to do this, uh, did you just kind of go straight into it after you did the? Which the trailers, by the way, are on your YouTube channel, uh, which I believe is Second Floor 
Productions, Second Floor Pictures. Second Floor Pictures, yeah. Second Floor Pictures. So if anybody hasn't seen these yet, go watch them and then watch the serial uh, because it's phenomenal. But uh, when you did the test footage, like, were you also kind of already, like, did you already have kind of all the pre-pro planned out in your head or were you just like kind of adapting this on the fly as you were actually filming it? It was a combination of things. One of the things I started doing was I started writing a very dialogue based people like, uh, you know, that scene in sunshine where you get, you have all the, you know, the mathematicians in one room and everybody's presenting their case for why or why not. Like, I love scenes like that where, where, everybody represents a different type of sect of the audience that is like, I agree with that guy. And then some people are like, I agree with that guy. Um, I love those scenes. So I, I had originally wanted to do something that takes place essentially um, before what we see in the, um, in the actual uh, web series. I, so I just started pounding that out and just pounding out these lines of dialogue. And it was funny. It was really funny. And then I was like, this is silly. Ha, 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 I'll make it a comedy, you know? And then, and then, uh, and then I started doing these shots and stuff. And I was like, I should paint the Nerf gun and make it real serious. And then I was like, no, I'm going to leave the Nerf gun the way it is <laughs> and make everything around it look like it had a budget or like make it look good so that people are like, I, I, what? Uh, they're distracted by that. Like everybody mentions the Nerf gun, but nobody. <laughs> Nobody, nobody mentions my jeans or or my <laughs> my motorcycle helmet. Uh, you know, like that was the stuff where I was like, "Oh, good, it's working." Because on the internet, it's all about conversation and comments, and and I was like, "Those are the comments." What's with the Nerf gun? Why Nerf gun? <laughs> God, it would have been better without the Nerf gun. And I was like, "This is perfect." You know? <laughs> yes, more comments. You know? <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, it feels wonderful. Um, but then some people like, and I was like, people will get it. Um, the other thing, part of the, one of the reasons I didn't paint the Nerf gun, just cause that's uh, what, what I'm talking about right now is um, I wanted younger people to be able to watch it without worrying about them. You know, uh, like you're on the internet. There's, it's like being in a public park, you know, there are children out there <laughs> on the internet. A, a lot of them actually are, you know we're we're ancient for an, an internet age. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, uh, we're yeah, we're super old. But yeah, I showed my six year old nephew, and at first it's a little intense. It's like you know the music and the the running and the breathing, and then all of a sudden the ner- he sees the Nerf gun and all the tension for him evaporated, and he was like, "Oh, it's a Nerf gun." And I was like, "Yes, it's just <laughs> pretend." Um, cause essentially that's what a movie is. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody on screen is holding a Nerf gun, you know, to, to a filmmaker anyway, where you're, cause you're sitting there analyzing it going like, that's a nice prop shot. That was a very nice prop shot. looks good. Uh, great paint job. Good job. Prop department. Whereas <laughs> other people are like, look at that flamethrower in alien. You know, like, <laughs> it's not real. It's uh, whatever. Or, or like the, uh, the steady cam rigs that the guys wear in aliens, uh, you know, like we're like, hey, those are city cam rigs, and most people are like, what? And they're like, ah, eh, never forget it, forget it. <laughs> uh, it's a cheap way to make it look cool. Um, so the, that was kind of that whole thing. Um, I think the real question the, to come off of the, that then would be, uh, have you approached Nerf and say, hey, I'd like to make a commercial for you? That's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what was in my head. I was like. <laughs> I was like, people are going to think maybe this is a Nerf ad. And I was like, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Like, like, if I'm going to sell out, 
I might as well sell out to companies I really admire and like, you know, because uh, Nerf, you know, the engineers at Nerf are great. There you I, go. I have to, you know, you have to admit, like some of the things they make are very, very clever. Well, I, uh, I loved it too because at the very end, when you get to the the, the main credit roll uh, at the end of episode uh, four in the serial, like you specifically thank the Nerf engineers, and I thought that was so awesome because you're like, it's Nerf or nothing. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. Right, <laughs> this, this guy gets it. Yeah, I mean, um, I I watched a, I, I think I watched a YouTube video of a guy breaking down, like basically did like a Crocs cut a, a Nerf gun in half because he was like, I had to figure out. He was like an MIT engineer, and he was like, I got to see how this works. This is brilliant <laughs> engineering. The way it knew which you know the the mechanisms that allowed it to sh- shoot one particular uh, you know dart and not the other one, and then you pull it again and it switched. It was one of those. It's a great video, but it was like it's you know it's one of those things where when there's people out there that really love their job, it doesn't matter <laughs> what they do, like it stands out. Like people notice, I think you know. Um, I can only imagine uh, what that what uh, corporate headquarters looks like, especially in the R and D department. <laughs> 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 the, but the 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 whole nerf gun thing um really just uh it also kind of i almost put this quote before the series um i think it was jean-luc godard said uh all you need to make a movie is a a gun and a pretty girl I think that was one of his quotes and I was like, interesting, interesting. And I, <laughs> but what I what 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 he means, I think, really on a more uh, primal level, to not to correct Jean Luc Godard or anything, but um, you need a a reason and conflict, essentially. Like you need a reason to kill and maybe a tool to kill with or something like that. I mean, instantly, gun and pretty woman. That's instant, like. You're going to hit a lot of audience members because that's essentially what you're trying to do is connect with audience people. So I was like, I just started kept I kept boiling down these these um, staples of cinema, especially old time cinema, like 40s, 50s, um, early 60s to uh, their bare essentials. Like we you have to have a character that feels real. Like when was the last time you saw a character eat? Uh, for, for right now, what comes to mind is uh, is Ray in in uh, the Force Awakens. Like they show her eating, it's totally uh, it's totally superfluous. Really, it's just like a cool little effect, and she eats a thing. But suddenly, the character needs nourishment. She doesn't eat again for the rest of the movie, if you notice. <laughs> but <laughs> but when you introduce that character, if you want people to connect with them, they, there's got to be something that I think that you wouldn't that normally goes by people in their everyday life and like and and that's why then it became like the eating uh like showing him eat like how's this guy eat he doesn't poop i almost put some fart jokes in there because i was like all he's eating is beans i was like he would be farting like that's just the life that he would be leading but then that was in earlier drafts when i wanted to play up the comedy and then i just kind of started i was like "Eh, i could put it in sound effect wise if i want to so now next time you watch it when he's eating (laughs) When he's eating beans and it cuts to the wide shot, picture a <laughs> fart noise. Picture a fart noise in there, and you'll you'll be like, "Oh, that is kind of humorous." <laughs> Especially since he's like unhinging his 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 helmet, like maybe he's farting in there and he's letting out uh, that stench. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that's where the real money is, fellas. We're doing the fart jokes Seriously. on the podcast. Hey, um, <laughs> Mel Brooks did it. Why, why not? Why not us? Right? <laughs> right. Right. 
that was the thing. It was like create a sympathetic character. That's kind of a goal. Uh, and then that was what I came up with was just showing the mundanity of, of what he has to do in order to just, just to survive. Um, and then I was like, this guy needs a reason. You can't just have somebody uh, kill. I didn't want to have him just pull a trigger on something, some entity or creature or whatever, because what's the motivation there? And he just looks like a murderer. And I was like, okay, so if you notice, there's like a twinge. I, I acted in a way to, uh, you know, she, f- the the uh, actress is named uh, Darby. She kind of flashes on the screen as like a reminder um, and of what he's thinking about. Uh, Cause I didn't want to cut away from the scene. I'm not big on like cutting out of a, a moment like that, but I wanted to reiterate that he was thinking about her, <clears throat> but um, you know, so it all came down to that pulling of the trigger at the end. I kind of started there and worked my way backwards. And I was like, uh, it was originally just going to go to black. Um, but uh, as I started working my way backwards, I was like, why is he killing this thing? Why is it okay for him to kill the, the thing why is the thing coming in here you know why is he here alone how is he going to repair the helmet and stuff so then you start writing backstory before you even know it and then you get to the other and then you finish writing it and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole movie here and then <laughs> and that's and that's you know that's what i'm working on now is is uh, uh unless i want to do more of a series or something like that but i'm i'm trying to to sell it or to get uh, somebody with an actual budget involved um, with the next part or to redo that part as part of a, as a small part of a bigger thing or whatever. I don't remember the question. <laughs> well, you know, that actually goes into my next question. Cause I, I wanted to ask you, cause you said you had stated earlier that uh, episode four kind of ends right where you believe the story should begin. So, you know, oh, yeah. with the rest, uh, the adventures of Corona, you know, in outer space, uh, mm-hmm. you know, did you have a whole, uh, I, I don't know, series of stories to go forward from that point? Or is it, you know, more of a, you just have this one particular idea that you wanted to, uh, accomplish at, after that point? I, I try, well, I started, you know, in sci-fi, there's a whole – it's uh, like I wanted to show technology, reflect technology now in the way the way it is in our real world in this futuristic thing. So then when you're doing that in sci-fi, you have to go way back into the history of the whole universe basically and find out how we arrived at this point. So – in doing so, I was like, oh, if I did a series, I could do an episodic kind of Star Trek meets Star Wars, which, I mean, isn't that the goal really <laughs> for anybody? Um, I, I had an idea to, to do a series, but I was like, but I'm more of a, I'm a I'll take anything, but I'm more of a, a film guy. I like a, I'd like a 90 minute, two hour chunk where you're just like, I got a beginning, middle and end, boom. And I'm on with my life. Like that was good. And, and nothing's keeping you hanging on to come back for another one. So I, I tried to, I, I tried to think more about like Mad Max in the sense that there's a, a a storyline to be told that will take up a feature or a, or a, a season of a series and then that's its own thing. And if we never came back and never saw them again, you'd get the whole, the whole uh, 
thing. I kind of I kind of liken it to um, uh, Samurai Jack, in the sense that uh, like that that show. Of course, you want to see now that's coming back actually, which is exciting because you you want to see him fight a coup as many times as possible, but you also want to see him actually get back to the past. I mean, it's in the theme song or get get back to where he yeah back to where he he was get back to the past. So there's that ongoing um, thing. So for me, the ongoing storyline would be what's going on at, at Earth, on Earth and New Earth because he's between the two. And if uh, if you're in check my science, Anzer is a real star. It is really beneath. It is really between Kepler 186F, which I was very proud to see. NASA announced uh, a series of like habitable planets, and that was like number two. And I was like, "Yeah, it's still a possibility. <laughs> still a possibility." Uh, it was very exciting. Really, a red, uh, a red uh, dwarf, or no, it's a red giant. So that's why everything's colored red outside, because um, I wanted to have motivated colored light. And I, I'm sick of blue. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of the color blue in sci-fi. Everything's <laughs> blue and dark. It's true. So if you're no offense, if you're working on something like that, it can be good. <laughs> nope. it's, but everything's so blue. I was like, "How about red? Let's go red." I was like, "Why is it red? It's a red star." There, and I was like, "That's a real thing." <laughs> it makes me look like a genius. Well, no, you did that, and then uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, well, it's not really a spoiler, but towards the end, uh, there, there's a sequence where it's uh, it jumped out at me as uh, you know using contrasting colors, but it's uh, or complementary colors rather, where it's, it's kind of like yellow and purple, um, like where he's in the the bedroom and uh, the dot systems kind of come back up, and then we have the tension of a potential alien coming in and, and discovering him, and when he kind of looks back we see the room he's in is, is completely yellow. And then the, I guess, kitchen area would be like a purple color. And I was like, Oh, that's very interesting because traditionally in film right now, like you said, blue and orange are very, very dominant uh, color driven things. And so, uh, you know, going back a little bit to Nicholas Wynn and Refn with, you know, uh, some of his films, cause you had mentioned uh, the neon demon. He likes to use a lot of pink and green, uh, mm-hmm. Still has a lot of blue in there too, but I just I thought that was a really cool color combination choice that you did there, and I thought that was very well done. What, thank you. What, what, once you abandon uh, the advantage of not really being like I'm a technical person. I I mean uh, to a certain degree, but technical proficiency um, is not on my front burner. Ne- very very rarely is uh, mine. Just I'm just kind of does it work? Which is why I would love to work with somebody who who is like technically proficient and wants to do things technically correctly so that we can butt heads and find a, a better place to be. Right. Um, but once you throw skin tone out the window, you know, like, like, <laughs> oh, I'm no longer concerned what tone his skin is in every shot. It starts to become more interesting uh, to, to go to the color. Um, all the color was done in post. Um, I shot, um, I balanced the camera to outside uh, to daylight, um, even though I was shooting inside with mostly, um, mostly uh, you know tungsten balanced bulbs and just desk lamps and things like that, um, there was some difference. There were some daylight bulbs and stuff, and I found my way to use them and separate the the foreground from the background. But um, but part of the reason I part of the way I did the color, which I would love to explore this technique like with a real team. Um, is when you look at uh, what is the fr- I, I'm blanking on 
is it George, is it uh, Millier's uh, or the uh, George Millier's uh, that first trip first to the moon? Trip to the moon, right? Yeah. Um, I was watching a Netflix had a color version of that where they where they colored on the the characters mm-hmm. and they had like they colored physically on the on the um, on the film stock to to d- make the characters distinguishable. It's like oh, this is the green one, this is the red one, this is the blue one, and. Um, Basically, I had watched that recently and I was like, I bet I could just do that digitally if I'm willing to trace and, and hide my mat lines and stuff. And then I was like, well, if it's in the dark, it becomes a little bit easier to hide those mat lines. And I was like, and and I really wanted to just have a silhouette of the hero. I, I like when I love film noir and stuff where it's just like that guy in the hat. That's the guy. You know, that's our guy. And that's just like he's wearing that distinct hat. Everyone has a very distinct hat, um, you know. And, and and that's why I like, but you know, Batman I think is such a great noir character because he has a recognizable, recognizable silhouette. So I wanted to do that. So the character's outfit just became black, which normally you'd never do. But I was like, it works for my purposes because I can hide all those lines and separate the uh, the character from the foreground and background. So essentially, I was doing um, that's painting over film stock, but but digitally in After Effects by just selecting certain sections. It took forever. It took forever. And I'm working on an over-the-counter MacBook Pro from 2008. <laughs> um, <laughs> with, with, in CS5, I used CS5, which doesn't have any 3D, doesn't have any right. real 3D modeling capabilities and stuff. So there was some very, I had to go through uh, frame by frame and, 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 and kind of build certain things in a, in a way where I was like, I was like, no one would ever do this. If you, <laughs> like, and then the rendering times guys. Oh my God. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine that would be pretty bad. See, it's all coming back to, I haven't talked about it in a while. <laughs> and, and now I'm getting, now I'm getting terrified at the mere thought of doing anything like that again. But, um, but yeah, the the color. Thanks for mentioning it because that was one of those things that took a long time to make it look like it didn't take any time at all. Yeah. Right, and 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 I think you did it really well too because there was a lot of times where I found myself uh, not the first time I watched it, but probably the third or fourth time that I watched it, where I was really kind of being a lot more analytical and trying to control myself to stay out of the story and not get pulled back in. Yes, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you did you did an exceptional <laughs> job with it, but uh, yeah, I, I was looking at it uh, and I watched it again today actually uh, just to kind of be really fresh and prepared for this but there's a scene where you know corona goes into the bathtub and there's seemingly like a a war or or, you know some sort of altercation going on between this alien and something else outside and the light shifts from kind of this magenta to green tone and back and forth and i was like well i know he did all this on his own Uh, like that's a pretty interesting accomplishment and so that's kind of where i went is i was like well he must have just done the color for all the light and post but then i was thinking like my gosh like that is a tremendous undertaking to do that and so i think it i I definitely think it works the way that you wanted it to because it it comes off very organic within the film as to why that light change would happen like that Mm -hmm. and and that uh the the light yeah the light change was all motivated but from the story like the character being um you know the inhabitant the inhabitants are, uh, I'll tell you, like, you can gather this from watching it, I think, uh, but uh, they're bioluminescent. Um, and so I, I wanted something that was that was bioluminescent. And it's also reacting to something inside him. 
Mm-hmm. I, I won't necessarily tell you what it is because I I think I haven't seen a I haven't seen this idea explored really in sci-fi uh, or, or or at least discussed in such a frank and I don't want to say nihilistic way, but it's it's not exact. <laughs> it, it kind of it shatters shatters the illusion of happiness for some people. I don't know. You know some, <laughs> some people don't want to have that shattered. I guess. Uh, <laughs> Understandable, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it seems it seems very non-romantic. The idea seems non-romantic when, in actually, I think it's it's somewhat the opposite. It's a it's a very romantic idea. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the so the character being bioluminescent, I was constantly trying to find. I was like, so you have a, I was like, you have a green light coming in, and then where would it hit? Like wh- which parts of the of the frame would the light be hitting and so i i used kind of a, a sharp a sharp lighting to get those lines uh, on the ex- uh and a difference of exposure so that you can see like this is clearly a, a light coming in um and then i would just trace those lines and do like little traveling mats for certain sections and uh yeah the the to give you some idea the last uh shot during the credit sequence with all the asteroids and stuff mm-hmm was um that took two weeks two and a half weeks solid straight didn't touch my computer for any other reason just letting it render and I, and I was like this is too long <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's way too long and with each passing day i was like eh, it's gonna screw up and then i'm gonna lose all this time and um it, it's just because there was so much going on and so much keyframing over the course of long periods of time. I was like, if I even, you know, do one thing wrong, I have to do this whole thing over. So it took a long time to get to that point. But then I was like, once I had it there, I was like, all right, I'll just take a break for two and a half weeks while this thing, this thing renders. I sent it to a friend who I sent that to a friend who is a colorist and he was like, that's too long. Like, it's too long. You don't ever do it. You don't ever do that again. You're insane. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> Well, and speaking of that that same scene, there is uh, another question I was going to ask you about, uh, just in in terms of technically how you accomplished it. Because I, I kind of st- again knowing that you created and and kind of were the only one there doing this, I think it's pretty awesome. But in that same sequence, there's a part of the window where like the glass blows out and and hits Corona in the head. And I mean, like, how did you how did you kind of accomplish that? I mean, that's got to be pretty challenging when you're the only one there. Yeah. Um. So those shots actually with the close up of the eye um this is when i was, I was pretty proud of myself because the camera once the camera came into the apartment i never wanted to shoot it from anywhere but inside except for you know one or two moments because i really wanted to get that claustrophobic trapped feeling um the shot of the eye when he's peeking around the corner is actually shot into a mirror it's the camera going into a mirror and back at him from inside the same same room and uh what i did is i took um a a piece of like uh like a plastic lid from like a a, sa- a storage bin <clears throat> that was kind of frosted glass and I cut out little pieces from that then I put those in a baggie and then I um tied off that baggie to basically make a squib and I tied it with into a um into an air uh tube which I then hooked up to an air uh, air compressor just for like cleaning a keyboard and then I taped it all up to where the glass would shatter from and then I had the can uh below camera <laughs> 
So I'm acting like I'm not about to shoot myself in the face with, <laughs> which was not easy um, because I kept anticipating. I had to do it several times. So I kept, you know, you're anticipating getting. And then on the third time I went, I'm shooting plastic at my eyeballs. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'm overcommitted to this. I was like, maybe this is why CG was created, right? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and I was like, I should stop doing it this way. Now, I did use one of the takes where it really did go off, but it wasn't exploding quite far enough. So I took one of those takes. And then what I did is I threw in um, – I had this um, green screen poster board that I just um, had like taped up and put and covered that um, section where my head was. And then what I did is I just stood off camera and threw pieces and then green, took the green screen out, put my mat back on um, or mat, my shot back on, matted back in. And then I just kind of did a little bit of matting around some of the pieces flying. And once you put sound effects in there, if you get the sound effects right, anything looks like glass if it's flying. You know, it's, it's pretty it's – it, it never ceases to amaze me. Like once, once you get into the editing room and things start coming together and it's, and it's going well, it's just – oh, man. I, I, I don't know what having a baby feels like afterwards, but I imagine – it's much better, much better than that. But this is pretty close. <laughs> it's a close second. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Mothers will never know the true feeling of seeing your stuff come together in the editing room. <laughs> uh, oh, it's their loss, really. It really is. I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. If only they could know. Uh... <laughs> so true, though. Yeah, that was a that was a tough one. Can I? I'm going to bring up a shot because nobody brings it up, which makes me proud of it. Um, <laughs> is at the end of the first part, there's a shot that's in the reflection of the helmet that rack focuses. Actually, I I was going to ask you that. Like, Wait, how do okay. I was going to ask you how you also did the rack when you were laying there about to you know potentially gun down any threats that came through the door. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so. Basically what I did there, this was an accident. Um, I had originally shot that. I wanted to do a first person from inside the camera or inside the helmet with the reflection of my face on the outside. That was the original shot, the way I conceived it. But when I edited it together, it just didn't feel right because you can't get a camera inside a helmet. I mean, unless it's like over here and it's got like, you know, it's over to the side and it's got like a big wide angle lens on it, um, which they do. And like or like the, um, the the shots in Iron Man, like, you know, there's ways to do it, but it didn't quite work in this in this instance. And I, so I had shot this footage from point of this POV footage. And then I was like, oh, wait, if I shoot, if I reshoot my face the my face side the helmet side um i can superimpose the rest over the glass and make it look like it's reflecting on the glass the trick was to just not to make it imperfect you have to make like uh, i think the tendency when you get into after effects and you get into cg is to make everything as perfect as possible like everything's exposed perfectly and everything nothing is out of focus that's the first stuff i throw off i'm like make it real dim like you could barely get it lit and then and then um then throw it out of focus put a soft put some soft thing over it so basically i had shot 
all of those things. And then I shot the scratch on the helmet separately as well. Uh, I took the, the visor off the helmet, shot me straight through, no, nothing obstructing my face from the camera lens, shot a plate of my head reacting, looking at different spots, which took forever because I had to lay down. I had to lay down in the helmet <laughs> to make sure <laughs> that the camera and the helmet were still and they were locked off. <clears throat> then I had to look like I was looking at a door that wasn't there and to, you know, I, was, I made myself these two eye uh, eye marks to look at. And then I, then I shot the, the scratch from the, um, from the helmet separately with just uh, against black to do, just get a difference type of mat uh, feel out of it. And then I did, um, and then I took the footage I shot from the, you know, the POV perspective and then orchestrated a, a um, digital um, focal pull. So everything that's being blurred is done digitally. And uh, most of I shot out of focus too, so that when it lands, it was a real, really out of focus shot. It's hard to explain, I guess. I hope I'm explaining it correctly because I'm not really. No, to to the person that didn't go to film school, it it sounds all perfect to me. So I understand. Okay. That was another one of those that kind of evolved over time because I was always like, well, I can always cut it. Like, <laughs> I was like, I- I'm editing this, so I can always, if it doesn't work, just cut it, you know, like, it's tough to edit your own stuff, but if you can learn how to let go of stuff that you shot as your own editor and really focus on story, I think, I think there's nothing better than the person who's like, I know we spent three days getting the shot, but it doesn't fit in now to the edit. So let's get rid of it. It's tough, but, but it's, it's important, I think. So, yeah, that shot I was um, particularly proud of, mostly because, and and you're the first person to have mentioned it, uh, because nobody mentions it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it blended in. It blended in nicely. I thought. Um, no, it, it. Yeah, you. I would not have guessed that. That's how. Because I was. I remember seeing it, and I was like, "Well, that's." And and you know, had it just been you know a, a web show or something that you know an. an a whole crew had worked on it, I probably would have not even thought about it. But the fact that like knowing going into it that you did, you know, pretty much everything by yourself, you see that moment, you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, how's how's that even possible? Like, you know, and then you start kind of trying to figure out how you would do something like that. And it makes sense when you describe it. But yeah, I would. I mean, that's very impressive. And it's, it, it looks very natural within the space, within the story, too. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's all geometry and setups like uh, you know there's the part where the um he's looking up at the windows towards the end and the inhabitant is walking past the windows to come to the door that one last time at the climax and uh like that of course i would rather shoot with like a, a pan or something but i had to cut back and forth and back and forth and i was like i had to get all the eye lines right so like it was six it was six setups for like three oh seconds six setups for like three seconds shot over the course of two days because it's just me so i was like i was like my god i could have shot this whole thing in like an afternoon <laughs> if i had a crew um and i had the proper equipment maybe you know not not an afternoon that's an overstatement but but yeah it, it got to the point where i was like um i was like no one's gonna even notice i was like this is gonna be so obnoxious that people are like oh that was good like that you know they watch it and they go that was good and you're like 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just be over here. I'll just be over here just uh, eviscerating my guts because uh, <laughs> that's the worst comment I could get right now. It was good. Yeah. Was like, if you if people were like, eh, it's terrible. You didn't get this part right. I was like, you know, I wish I'd push myself further to get that part right. <laughs> you know, you know that feeling where, where someone's picks that one thing where you're like oh maybe nobody will notice and then they're like hey what's wrong with this thing and you're like ha, ha, ha. that was somebody else's fault totally not <laughs> you're like funny story about that uh this is what happened right no but I, and you're right and i think that's better than just you know that or when you ask for feedback and you know somebody's like well you know it's it's different it's like right well, what what does that mean? Like, that's not, you know, if it's bad, just tell me it's bad and we can work on improving those going forward. But if you if you just don't really get feedback, it's very difficult to know what you actually accomplished and what didn't work well for the audience, you know, because you're right. It is easy to become distracted by your own intentions as a storyteller or a filmmaker or any artist, I would imagine. But when you see that audience connect with it in the ways that you hoped, you're like, OK, yes, I did this right. And that's that's very rewarding. Absolutely. And I think there's a certain tendency. Um, I think more practical filmmakers immediately recognize the commercial, the need for a commercial success, especially in the beginning of your career. Um, if that's, if you want to make it a career. Right. Um, and the, the funniest thing I've always noticed at, um, cause I like to go to like really small little independent film festivals where they're just showing, showing shorts from the area and, it's, it's, you know, nobody that may even – some hobbyists, not even people that want to want to necessarily do it as a career. But whenever I go – and this is true of all festivals, even big ones. The ones that do the, what, the best with the audiences are the most commercial ones by definition, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But – but you have all these, so you have all these indie filmmakers who want to do something experimental and new and interesting. And those are the ones I go to see. Those are not the ones that get awards or, but you know, some guys like I shot a entire video from the perspective of a dog. I'm like, awesome. I'm in, you know, like <laughs> I want to see that. That sounds interesting. And then someone else is like, eh, it's, you know, it's a dramedy about a family that has to move back in together. I'm like, well, that's, been done a bazillion times but that's what indie audiences are going to connect with um and that'll be the most commercial thing there but uh, i always found that just strange that <laughs> these in you know, all these indie festivals were like we're changing the art form i'm like no you're not you're like these guys are that no the ones no one's paying attention to <laughs> they're the ones changing it because you can go and watch some video that's you know about mold growing on cheese and if it's shot well you're like wow that was very interesting how'd you accomplish those things and 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 that's where you learn to me new stuff whereas other things are just uh, the commercial ones there yeah they're just a combination of things that have worked in a new exciting way <laughs> captured in full pastel colors with uh <laughs> With very squared off Wes Anderson y type uh type cinematography. Yeah. That's kind of the the run of the mill indie indie picture these days. <laughs> it's very true though. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If it serves the story, <laughs> awesome. But uh that was I, I bring that up uh, just to tie it back into with the color and stuff with Dream of Me and the cinematography and things. I was like 
by definition, it's going to have to be different. Um, but that's really how I like to shoot. Uh, I don't like to move the camera much um, if I don't have to. I like to keep things very still. And I thought, wow, you get the sense that this character is really alone because he's really alone. <laughs> like the camera's not moving. Like wh- whenever I feel that um, – it's kind of like the snap zooms in, in the J.J. Abrams movies, which are – uh, you know that's a topic of contention there for some people is like are we to believe that there's a a crew in a galaxy far far and away struggling to get this all on film <laughs> uh and they're snap zooming like when you know that how the technique is accomplished as a filmmaker you immediately associate different a, a per, another person being in the room that's why like when you watch the shining garrett brown is is there sweating his, you know, butt off carrying around a giant steady cam the whole time. And you never think about it. You <laughs> never are thinking, Oh, poor Garrett Brown, you know, during this amazing 10 minute, whatever <laughs> shot that he's trying to orchestrate up these stairs and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, it was also, I, I, there was a sense of luck, I guess, involved. Like I was like, wow, this is, I was writing around what I had. But then at this, then there was times where I was like, "Wow, this really works without being able to move the camera. Like this really feels like he's he's there by himself." But uh, again, you know, it, it's it was all co- wrapped up in a. It was a very commercially like explosion of pop art collage. That's you know, like it's kind of how I describe it to some people. Like that's what I want the feeling I was going for. But I wanted to shoot it in a way that like an indie auteur would shoot it. Um, Cause that's how I think of myself. But the, I'd love, you know, I love spacemen shooting guns. Like <laughs> what's wrong. What's wrong with that? Like you can still do that in art, in an artistic way. Um, which, uh, you know, some people would say that about Fury Road. Some people wouldn't. <laughs> Who could you be talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, one of the other things uh, that that I thought was particularly interesting within the world that you're crafting within this uh, serial is that uh, you, you do have that flashback to uh, Corona and Wendy on the beach, um, which I'm assuming you did a sky replacement on that. It looked like there was a little bit of, of chrome keying going on there. Yes. Um, but the thing that jumped out at me more than anything but behind that was the uh, wardrobe choice for Corona and and Wendy is it's kind of got more of that World War like two type of uh, era going on. And I, I was curious because obviously, uh, you know, spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched it and mm-hmm. go watch it before you listen to me say this if you haven't seen it um, and then come back to this. But uh, <laughs> there's kind of a this interesting thing because it's it's kind of like parallaxing timelines in a sense that you have of that. But then here we are. And obviously, space travel is a, a fully recognized thing. So much to the point that we have the carousel, which is this midpoint between Earth and New Earth. Uh, and and so I was just kind of interested if that was going to potentially play a bigger part in kind of where you wanted to take the series going forward or if you went into, you know, an actual feature with it. Um, is that kind of what's going on there or there's a there's several things that came out of several different possibilities, but in terms of the style, uh, the the transistor radio that's sitting next to him was chosen specifically for certain 
aspects and I painted it green specifically for certain reasons. Uh, and, um, and the wardrobe choice was very much, I looked at a couple of different, um, um, uh, uniforms, uh, military uniforms, but, um, I don't know the, the, the green Marine uniform is just so, timeless i guess it, you know it, it there's something about military uniforms it's a safe bet that they're never going to they've never they haven't changed in like you know 60 or 70 years and they're not going to change much uh between now and whenever i don't think so i i was like that's kind of a safe non non-specific uh uh wardrobe choice and i also just that it also was very much a Norman Rockwell type of moment where I was like beach, you know, the, the, the bride being left as the warrior goes off. It's just very much that, that whole kind of, like I, I was saying before, just like breaking down, you know, very much uh, those standards of old movies. Are like, you know, that's a, it's a very romantic idea. Um, and I just wanted to play that up to its full potential. Um, but uh, but ultimately, I am just a stickler for uh, I think it's what is it Art Nouveau or like you know that kind of that I I was heavily I didn't I I stopped playing video games admittedly to like probably ten years ago, but I still watch playthroughs on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> because I think there's so much interesting art that's going on there and and interesting potential for all these things, um, but. Uh, the the Bioshock look, I was like, wow, that is so awesome and distinct, and like that steampunky look is so cool. But I was like, can I get that same kind of vibe into like basically a cyberpunk world where, where things are, you know, things are equally, um, they're not always working, um, you know the that the technology is constantly breaking down and things, but it's, it's a recognizable technology to us, which is, you know, kind of like alien was, was like that where you were like that, I, that would be like, I, it's kind of a steampunky look, I guess that, 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 that movie, but it's cyberpunk, I guess it's, it's what you would call it. Yeah. I just like, I, I like very round, very round shapes and very angular things. And, if you look throughout that, there's circles in uh, there's a circle a circle focal point in virtually every frame because I didn't realize it. I I didn't realize it actually. I watched an old project of mine, and I didn't realize how much I put it in. And I was like, I may have some weird OCD where I'm obsessed with, like I you know maybe it's somewhere in my head where I'm like I just notice these circles so much quicker. Um, now I will watch it and I'm like, holy crap, they're everywhere. Like <laughs> I, I was like, good Lord, it's just angles and squares and circles all over this thing. And, and I, there was a lot of conscious effort to do that, but then it's, then you forget, or either you forgot you did it or you weren't realizing you were doing it for other shots. And you're like, holy mackerel, this is, this is, uh, this looks troublesome <laughs> to me because I, I didn't realize what was going on in the shot when I shot it. Then I, psychiatrist or something like do I, am i obsessed with circles um and well whatever i am but uh, it's a good thing i think yeah it just plays into to dot it, that, that, i mean dot is 
She is essentially, I, I like to call her Hal 9000's spunky little sister. <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a great, uh, a great parallel, actually. Yeah, because I, 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 that's a state I never considered myself a science fiction person. I love watching science fiction. I guess that's all you need. Um, <laughs> but I would never think of myself as like a studier of the science fiction, science fiction as a as a tool because it's not really a genre i think you can do a western in space like science fiction has to it's it's just it has to be relatable i think like uh star wars isn't science fiction to me it's science fantasy like uh, there are fiction there are sciencey elements to it there's a certain amount of science real sciencey stuff in there in certain places but like star trek science fiction star wars science fantasy like i guess that's the way i look at it um, so this w- was one of those like I was like, can I get fantasy elements into science, a science, more of a science fiction setting? And that that was kind of uh, where I was going um, in terms of uh, style and stuff. One of the things I did want to get uh, one of the reasons I shot it the way I shot it and and that whole the that uh, dream I call it a dream sequence. Some people call it a flashback, whatever I call it a dream sequence on the beach. One of the things that you see there is there's a little bit of a reveal about the characters, her specifically, maybe how how you're supposed to view her or how I view her or how I view love or marriage or all those things. Because um, you'll notice that like as you go through the movie, things that are angular are bad. <laughs> things that are ang- have <laughs> angles and lines are bad. Things that are circular are safer and human. I mean, that's a that's a pretty popular um, art uh, art uh, style. <clears throat> but uh, so you'll notice that <clears throat> the the Corona spacesuit is a series of circles. There's circles on both sides of his head. There's there's this line down the middle, which is actually his mohawk because he's uh, he's like the biggest punk rocker in the galaxy. That was kind of like, as I was describing him, that becomes more evident as like the story goes on. But it, and then uh, on the sides, which I didn't do a great job uh, on either side of his eye, uh, you'll notice it's semicircles. Um, and when those are both on, you have a essentially a full, a full circle, which is what happens to the story. The story comes full circle at the end and then all these things. But the bird cage, there's a moment with the bird that flies past the sun on the left and it kind of distracts your eye in the middle of having this, your bra, basically a bride stare you in the face who's sad and your, your eye gets distracted. I thought it was kind of a nice duality where you have this free bird on the left side of the screen and then on the right side, she's wearing a, what's called a bird cage uh, veil, which is a, a series of, you know, a series of um, diamonds essentially at that, that, and then you have that rack focus down the fence at the end. And there's this whole thematic element of a caged bird that keeps coming back. And, uh, and some of the line, some of the lyrics of dream of me deal with uh, birds and things like that. There, there's just a lot of flight and freedom um, versus captivity and, that was what I was feeling kind of at that moment in my life where I was like, I am in a basement apartment <laughs> in in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is near where I grew up. I moved away from there when I was little. And, but when I moved back, I was just like, 
I felt very, I felt like I was on a different planet. I was surrounded by three story houses that were like uh, overcrowded with, with a glass ceiling over them. And I, so I put a literal glass ceiling over a bunch of houses in space (laughs) and I was like, I'm going to deal with like those kinds of that kind of, I was like, how can we stack the odds against this guy so badly (laughs) that, that anybody would want to see him succeed. And that's essentially, uh, I had a friend who interpreted the last shot as kind of a twilight zone ending or like a I always saw it as somewhat comedic, uh, darkly comedic, where here we are, we're super motivated, and we're going to get off a defunct space space station with no way of flying and being hunted by aliens. I was like, that's, that's, where, I, that's where I want to join a character. I want to join them at that moment <laughs> where I was like, wow, where wow, this guy is screwed. I'm glad I'm not this guy. And then you feel, you know, then the audience feels better about themselves in their own situation, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And it, I, you do have some of those moments in there, too. Uh, one of the major ones that jumps out is when he has the, the crack and it's leaking air out of his suit. You're You're kind of in that moment of like, oh... Yeah, I've seen a lot of science fiction, and that is never good. Right? You know, it's just that that terrible moment where you're like, "What is going to happen?" And and even at the ending, you're right. You get to the end of that, and you're like, "Okay, he's he's ready to go." You know, we've got dot repaired and all that, but but where is he going to go? You know, right. his, his ship crashed. You know, is it is it serviceable? Like, is he going to be able to get off this thing? Is he waiting for people to come rescue him? Like. How many more, you know, aliens are on here? I, I mean, there's so many questions that, that leaves you pondering, but yet still in this hopeful, positive way. Like, it's a very interesting uh, situation that you've painted at the end of this that I think I think a lot of people that watch it are going to be like, yes, I'm hungry for more. Like, let's do this. So far, that's been that's been kind of the uh, the gist of what people say is like, I'm very excited to hear you're doing more. I, I don't know what capacity. Um I might have to to do it animated or, you know, cause I was like, that's as much as I could do with nothing. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I have ideas for more characters and things. I actually, th- I did think of a great opening to the next one where I could blow my entire budget on the first three minutes. <laughs> blow my entire budget on the first three minutes where people are like, that was great. And then like the rest of it takes place in the dark. You know? <laughs> It's just you just find a location where he's just wandering around in a basement for most of it. I might still do that. Actually, I may I may still do that. I was to say, but those first three minutes, though, whew. that's the thing. It's like you you got to give them just enough where they're like, "Whoa, I'll keep watching." <laughs> that's. But once you become aware of that, like some of the sh- the TV shows, you know, like I ne- I couldn't stand Night Rider because I was like, all they do is stand around in offices and talk to each other. I was like, "Where's that car? Get that car out here." And start chasing bad guys, but they're like, we don't have that in the budget, dude. We do that maybe twice a season. <laughs> uh, you know, which is when that was when I, I appreciated uh, Gandhi Tartakovsky's comments about Samurai Jack because he was like, yeah, there was always these cartoon shows growing up where they promise all this action and then there would be no action. And he was like, so I wanted to make a show that was all all action. And uh, that's yeah, that uh, that show is uh Sorely over, uh, sorely overlooked and underappreciated, I think, in in some film circles. I think it's a really great, great piece of work. The, those shows, 
if I could talk about somebody else's work for five seconds. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're pretty much describing Dragon Ball Z there because there is, it's just like every episode is, we're going to have a huge fight in the right. next episode. It's like right. people have watched like 300 episodes and there's been two fights. Like it's, it's not all fighting. I swear they look at their numbers and, and they know that the average person's attention span and they're just trying to uh, just a few more episodes. <laughs> let's throw, let's roll those dice. Let's see if they'll watch for one more episode before it's something interesting happens it's completely true though completely yeah. true well uh i mean we can seriously probably sit here all night and keep going but we've been going for sure. about an hour and 43 minutes now yeah i was just um, yeah i was like i've been i haven't shut up for no it's it's that's what you were supposed to do that's what the podcast <laughs> is is people just talking non-stop so i think we've all three done a pretty good job of that um but yeah like, so i feel like we've neglected mitch a little bit maybe i'll have, <laughs> I'll have to come back and mitch and i can duke it out over tomorrow late and, uh, <laughs> and, and mad max, uh, and mad and max. see that's what yeah. happened he painted himself in a corner with mad max and uh, <laughs> he doesn't get a voice because he's wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh man no, no, no. no. I, I love no, listening I'll to you guys. I'll never be back. So. Ask back. I didn't like that guy. I don't like him. He's not coming back. That's not true at all. I enjoyed every uh, every point of the discussion that you've, you've thrown out there so far. And, and uh, uh, you know, like, like I said, I really appreciated your, your, your web series. So I, I was happy to listen to you talk about it. So uh, I'm uh, ecstatic that you came on the show to talk to us. Oh, my, hey, it's my pleasure. I'm unemployed and I'm sleeping on a couch right now. So I got plenty. <laughs> if you guys know anybody who wants more podcast interviews, this next week is perfect for me. <laughs> really perfect. Uh, I will ask around. I will see if I can find uh, any other podcast for you. Honestly, we should just even have you come on and just do one where we just talk about, you know, movies and directors and things like that. Because uh, usually our show is just very free flow. We usually don't uh, try to outline anything. Uh, and I, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the fact of our other shows that we have on you know, Geekly Radio and that we do uh, typically is a little bit more structured. So I think with this one, it, we wanted it to be very just, you know, uh, conversationalist. And uh, I don't feel like there's a lot of podcasts that do that. So maybe we can get you back on one of these days to just uh, shoot the uh, conversation about random films and why sure. we watch and what we like and things like that. I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd lo I love I, I, it's, it's hard to discuss your own work because once it's done, you're like, just watch it. Just watch it. <laughs> and, you know, just watch it and make up your mind. Um, but that unfortunately that's the biz it's you're 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 you sell the idea then you film the idea and then you sell the idea again yeah a thousand more times a thousand more times right. you're probably ready to um, just move on to the next but, thing uh, right it's uh but it's um you know i gotta say like it's an it's an interesting cycle once you get used to the cycle i feel like it's it, there's nothing better but uh yeah thanks very much for having me on and i and i, and I will say um I'll probably repeat some of this information in some of the upcoming um, blog, uh, vlogs I'll be doing because I'm going to do some more updating on my my YouTube channel just because I'm in such a transitional moment in my own life where I just moved here and all that. So I just thought it would be fun to keep people updated on what's happening in, in my search for uh, anything, I guess, in L.A. that will lead me to the next – to to be able to continue, especially Dream of Me. I mean that's priority number one. Um, but, uh, I will also be doing a, a series. I'm do doing a series, uh, called, um, in a single shot, which, um, is kind of 
linked to or there's a coming soon link on the uh on the end of the web series but basically what i'm going to do is that is go through every single shot and write on the screen and kind of explain um how it was made and uh what i use just so i just feel like that visual thing is the type of thing i would want to see i would want to see somebody go through and say okay this is here for this reason and we use this to do this and yada 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 i just feel like you don't get that kind of close attention to detail with from like a commentary or something where you can actually see the shot so i will be doing that series so um hopefully people want to watch that (laughs) no (laughs) i I think that's i think that's fantastic because uh you know that's what we were originally trying to do something similar with you Uh, we just couldn't get the technical uh part of it down in time but we were you know we're going to try to live stream at least one of the episodes and then kind of have you deconstruct it as we went through um and i and i I think it's great that you're doing that because one of the biggest things that kind of bugs me about a lot of these films going like digital purchase with like things like itunes and amazon is that you lose a lot of the special features and for me, like one of the best parts of like owning, you know, a Blu-ray player and a DVD player was to to be able to sit down and like listen to the writer and the director and the cinematographer, whoever talk about the film and why they did certain things or, you know, uh, like crazy anecdotal things that happened while they were filming. And I think it's really fantastic to see that you, you know, you're going to kind of do that with this series because I think you have a lot of great content there that people, you know, I mean, I, arguably I'm not like, you know, majorly into film yet in terms of, of a career with it but you know i've i've seen a lot of it i've worked on a lot of things and you know there's still those moments where i look at other people's work and i'm just like hmm like how how did they do that like that's pretty fascinating and so i think you know it's one of those situations where you can put that out there and potentially grow a community of other uh like-minded uh you know independent filmmakers that can really kind of learn from each other and, and grow experiences and so i think that's great that you're doing that thank you i Personally, I'm not. I I like to watch commentaries and things like that, but at, at the same rate, I'm always explaining too much because you don't want to take it away from people. But someone recently, those people are going to seek it out no matter what. So you might as well just put it up there because most people they won't even make it past two minutes if they're like, "Wow, this is boring." You know, <laughs> this isn't this isn't cool. Um, so so yeah, uh, but I I think um, I think it might be a good thing. Good thing to do, uh, mostly because my main goal, professional goal of mine, is to bring down the cost of filmmaking so that anybody can do it. And one of the ways you do that is just to show what you can accomplish with with very little. If you're in a circumstance where you can, you know, uh, do, do that, that you know, the first Mad Max was shot on the weekends, and you know, or like Christopher Nolan's first movie was shot on the weekends, and I think that's the the place to it's how much can you do with how little I think is, is really the first test for any filmmaker. So um, I hope this inspires more people. Cause I'm, I'm one of those people that wants more voices. I, I'm just so uh, inundated with kind of the same types of films and the same type, you know, Hollywood is kind of just, it's, it's just regurgitating itself to the point where it's like, it's so hard to watch something where find something that's truly unique and original and the only way you can really do that is to bring down the cost of the medium so that anybody can go out there and do it which is happening which is great very exciting time to be to be working very very true before we go here um do you want to tell everybody where they can find you uh and where they can find dream of me and and all that sort of stuff 
Yeah, if uh, I mean, if you use your favorite search engine, whichever it might be, um, we don't discriminate here. Just use the hashtag uh, Dream of Me series, and you'll. I've been tagging all kinds of things with that, so that will come up. Um, you can also find me on Twitter um, at Tim Stavers, and uh, I'm a goofy guy. Don't take everything I say too seriously, <laughs> um, but uh, but there's also some links there and. Uh, and yeah, and then there's my YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash second floor pictures spelled number two ND. It doesn't matter. You'll find it. I mean, <laughs> if you're if they're if they're listening to this, they're tech savvy people, I feel like. Yes, I would I, say that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, I, I would imagine most of our listeners can Internet. Yeah, <laughs> I hope. I mean, they found this somehow like our podcast. <laughs> I mean, least, yeah, so. if, I mean, when my mom was like, uh, it's on YouTube. Do we have YouTube on the computer? And I'm like, well. <laughs> Yes, you do. That's <laughs> why they call it an address. You just have to go there and get on the <laughs> information highway and stop at the address. Um, but uh, yeah, there. But you want to get those people too. I mean, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I course. had to. Sh- I showed my. I showed my ninety-five-year-old grandmother the series the other day, and she was like, "I don't get it, but I, I enjoyed it." <laughs> I was like, "That's good." I was like, "That's a good comment. I like that." <laughs> That's awesome. I don't get it, but I enjoyed it. So yeah, perfect. Well, I also wanted to say yeah, that thanks. if uh, you happen to find Corona on a planet, a uh, Tatooine-esque planet, and you need to use the Imperial Sand Dunes, you have a couch at my house that you can sleep on. So I, I have been, I have been. One of the top priorities is like, how do I, how do I? When I was driving through the uh, the West Texas and all that, the whole desert area of the country, I was like, I really want to shoot something out here. I have a western that I do have written. That's that's very. Uh, that's somewhat similar, but but different. Obviously, it's not sci-fi. But uh, I may take you up on that. I may be out there doing location scouting and stuff. Well, there you go. It's another single guy in the world. I like to watch <laughs> make movies that are about one person alone in the entire you know in a world. It's it's a fun place to start. I think Arizona's a pretty great place to shoot a western. So yeah, come on down. I may come down anyway. Just, <laughs> if, if things don't go well in LA, I may be on that couch sooner than you think. <laughs> hey, it's only a it's only a few hour flight from here to LA, so it's a, it's yeah, a cheaper living go. situation and uh, probably a probably the same amount of commute time. Really, LA traffic's pretty bad, so that's true. Probably about the same. Yeah. It takes you about an hour to go ten miles out here. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's so bad. And that's when you're driving like a maniac. <laughs> oh, I've noticed that everybody it's it's like uh whoo the the roads are two way when you decide they are and uh <laughs> and if you don't like the fact that someone's sitting at a light just go around them just go around them <laughs> it's, it's no big deal like you have to get where you need to go just break all the laws it's no big deal it's unreal man it's, it's unreal, unreal. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think I'm I was, I was like Sunday, yes, whatever keeps me in the apartment. <laughs> I'm not I'm not braving the traffic today. Yeah, no chance. Please. Thanks again for for having me on, uh, both of you guys, and I look forward to staying in touch and hopefully hopefully getting to work on something at some point. Absolutely. If you go to our website, you can check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geekly Radio Network. Uh, But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek Geek out. out. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Nice. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.